verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'll read verse 13 again. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then I will add on to that, and you can just listen to this. Romans 9, 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Please be seated. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful uh, message you've given us throughout Scripture, that you are sovereign. Christians everywhere say this. We understand it more and more fully and deeply as we interact with your word and as we live and see how you operate in your world that you created. We pray for all things for your glory, even our understanding this morning. So by your Holy Spirit, enlighten, speak to us as we interact with this great and wonderful and comforting um, truth from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the midst of a 10-week sermon series that's exploring God's sovereignty over all things. It's roughly divided into two sections, um, uh, kind of summarized last week by that illustration where uh, we have uh, strategy and operations. We spent a while looking at God's strategy, God's way of creating a world, of lining things up in his world the way they should operate, even God's strategy of saving and passing over, and God's work in in all of those things. And then we took a week and looked at just a response to that part of God's sovereignty, that understanding of God being sovereign. And now we see God in operation. How does God operate in his world? How does God interact with this thing called the human will? Because we have a human will. Uh, We we do. There's something he's given us, and and we make choices. Uh, People like choices, and we make choices. We're all about uh, hot dogs or hamburgers or whatever it is our choice is, and, and it's good to have two or three kinds of ice cream if we're at a place to get a choice. People like choices. And we say, that's my choice, my will. And, and we, we hang on to this, my will, my choice. And uh, we do need to interact. We do need to think about how our human will interacts with God's sovereignty. We must. Next week, we'll be talking about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. The following week, God's sovereignty and prayer. How does prayer factor into all of these things? And finally, it'll be a sermon on our attitude towards God's sovereignty. Then Thanksgiving, then Advent, and then we'll be talking as elders. We'll have a proposal, or I'll have a proposal for you elders, and, and we'll look at the coming year and, and, and where the pulpit uh, ministry is heading at that point. 
that this is where we're headed in this sermon series on God's sovereignty. My goal this morning is to expose the myth of your free will, in quotes, as a determining force in your life. The freedom of the will is virtually non-existent. And to advocate theologically for the concept of your free will is to fight for nothing at best and to try to dethrone God at worst. I'm going to advocate something greater than free will, your will, my will, something greater, something that's uh, not only true but far better. There's reality, and then there's everything else. I had a teacher one time who liked me and we related on sports stuff. He was my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Ekoff, good old German guy. At Ekoff and Riedema, sixth and seventh grade, they were the Germans there in that little Christian school. That Dutch, it was Dutch Reformed school, but these were, these were German. Mr. Ekoff gave me one time his old copy of Stratomatic Baseball from 1967. That's a game where each player that's a real player has a card and you roll dice, and based on how they played in the season, you could manipulate, and you could have those, and, and they were trying to be as accurate to, to a real season if they played 162 games to their statistics. And my brother Chris and I played that thing. We were experts uh, up until a few years ago when my, my brain stopped being a steel trap. You could ask me questions about the 1967 baseball season. I could, I could give some pretty good answers. Um, Chris and I would stay up all night sometimes. All night, it'd be 2 o'clock, it'd be 3 o'clock. Then we'd just play all night. We would take all those baseball players from 1967, we would combine them all, and we'd just shuffle them in, and we'd make like 10 super teams. So they weren't all-star teams, but they were super teams. We would limit ourselves. We'd have a minor leagues, and you could go down. And, and we'd play these massive tournaments and have notebooks full of statistics. And if your team won, you got to keep it for the next time. And boy, you'd get attached to these teams. And then the dice would just go the wrong way, and you'd lose it. And that became as real to us as the players. Rod Carew, for instance, it was his rookie year. He had a great season. Uh, that was more interesting and more real than Rod Carew uh, playing in the playoffs on the radio. Um, that became more real than putting on our own little league uniforms and, and playing ourselves. And you know what? It wasn't real at all. It wasn't a real test. It was a roll of a dice. Those notebooks are long gone. Uh, those players are real players, but they aren't in their cards. Uh, we do this a lot of times uh, with theological things. And all of a sudden, these big debates and these little things that we have and this back and forth and, and all of that, and we talk about theories and possibilities and inside baseball when really life is different. There's a reality. Just look at Scripture. Why fight over uh, something like free will versus sovereignty? The Bible is absolutely clear who is sovereign. Are you God or is God God? That's the question. And the Bible says God is God. Now, putting it all together in our little pea brains and understanding it uh, and, and how it fits, hey, that's biblical and that's fun and that's good. But you start with what's real. And just as, take Rod Carew again, just as he was a real flesh and blood baseball player, a real flesh and blood man who went up to bat in a real baseball game in a real in a real season, and he's not that card on the paper. 
all of us fighting over what's free will and my will versus God's will. Where does it fit? I'm telling you right now, God is sovereign. And God is sovereign over free will. And there's even a myth of free will in our lives. You came in this morning. Do we? We don't. Maybe we should start. But we don't have people buying pews like they used to have. You go into some of these old churches and you say, this is where the, you know, the, this family sat and they paid for it. And there's a little plaque in these old churches. Um, that was a money maker and all that stuff. Uh, we don't have that. You can sit wherever you want. Did you, out of your free will, actually sit where you sat this morning? See, sometimes I can come in here, and sometimes I just sit down here, and I just start. Sometimes I start on this side, and sometimes I start on this side. And I just pray for you all, and it's easy for me to, I don't even need a directory, because I know where you sit. <laughs> we all sit in the same place. Uh, sometimes people sit where they sit because they're a little later to church, and they slip into the back, and they sit there. Sometimes people sit because they don't want to be a distraction to other people. Maybe they've got a, a child or training how to be in church. Sometimes people. But you know what? There were factors outside of your will that affected even where you sat this morning. Something was above that. Something superseded that. Three points this morning. The nature of human will. The bondage of the human will and the powerlessness of the human will, culminating in the great news of sovereign God's power over human will and the freedom that he gives to his people. The nature of the human will. Definition of will. In every act of the will, there's a preference. The desiring of one thing rather than another. When there is no preference but complete indifference, there is no volition. In every act of the will, there's something even higher, and that's called your presence. You walk down the line of the buffet. That looks good to me today. I'll I'll take some of that. I'll take this much of that because I'm on a diet. Um, All these factors uh, affect your choices. It's not like I have a free will. I can just do whatever I want. No, you can't. had this pro-life argument with a guy one time down in Pensacola, back when I was a little Frito-Lay guy. This guy at the back door uh, that, that worked at the Albertsons. And Pensacola was a hotbed for this. And he says, well, I just believe everyone should have their choice. I'm, a, I'm for choice. Everybody needs their choice, 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 choice. I said, then you must have really loved what happened on the Bay Bridge last week, right? Oh, you know. I'm Frito Man. Frito Man's there. Coke Man's listening. Bud Man's listening. Salad Man's listening. Bread Man's listening. They're all listening, and they're all listening to me. And I said, uh, you like these choices so much, and you have free will. I said, well, that woman that went to the bar and chose to get drunk, and she went to her car and chose to drive, and then she came to the Bay Bridge, and she could have either gone in the right lane or she could have gone against traffic in the left lane. She had her choice to go in the left lane. And at that moment, people died because of her choices. And let's think about the idea of free choice. And and there's reasons why there's laws against this and that. And there's reasons why there's speed limits. And there's reasons why you don't drink and drive. And there's reasons why nobody's against people making a choice. But if a human life is involved in it, all of a sudden, we've got other people's choices and other things. Or as somebody said the other day, well, I like the doctor and the woman in the room. 
And the person said, well, there's also a baby in that room too. And so think about choices and think about free will and advocating for free will. There are norms and there are things, but you don't have a free will. Nobody has a will that is absolutely free to do whatever you want. Every choice we make is belonging to something else. Choice implies the acceptance of one alternative and the rejection of the other or others. Watch an old Cary Grant movie this week where he had his eye on one sister and that didn't work out. And in the end, it was the Catherine Hepburn character that he ended up with, that sister. Uh, there were things behind. He didn't have a free choice. His character belonged to how he was brought up, and that, that came into it. Her personality, her personality. We don't have these free choices like we think we do anyway. And so how can we say, well, it's just my free will if I choose God or not. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's understand. Uh, Arthur Pink, A.W. Pink listed various factors that have superiority over your will. Things that determine your will. Your will is not on top. Your will is determined by these things. He listed five, and I thought of two others really quick. First one he listed, the logic of reason. A lot of what you do isn't your will, it's just reason. If I do this, then this, that's logic, and you think about it. And so you make a choice, not a free choice, a choice that is bound by reason. Another factor that has superiority over your will is the voice of conscience. Conscience informs your will. If your conscience is going to bother you, you generally don't do that, or you say it's going to bother me, but not so much, and you do it, but conscience is a factor in, in the decisions you make. The impulse of emotion. A lot of times that's what governs us, and we have emotion things at the time, and we do it. It just seems like a good idea at the time. That's why we choose what we choose so many times. He listed the whisper of the tempter. We laugh about old Flip Wilson saying, the devil made me do it, but sometimes there is a tempter. Why would we pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one from Scripture. If there's not an evil one tempting us, prowling around, seeking to devour us. And sometimes the choices we make are as a result of those things. And he finished with his little short list for his short little book as the power of the Holy Spirit. But I immediately thought of two more. Sometimes mind-altering chemicals affect our choices. Come sit in an AA meeting and, and, and talk with these guys, and they'll tell you about that. They say, man, I made some bad choices. I, I thought I was exercising my will, but I was under the influence. The other one I thought of is crowds and mobs and herd mentality. And you pull people away after they've done something terrible to some person, and you pull them away as individuals, and you they say, I don't even believe I did that. I got caught up in the crowd and the emotion of the crowds. Uh, our will is not as free as we like to think it is. There are factors that influence our will. There's no free choice environment that does not have other factors involved in it. According to Scripture, what is more powerful than the will? Well, the Scripture uses these phrases like the heart, 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What goes in and what comes out and all these things, and God talking about changing and transforming your heart. It's your orientation to a certain way of, of, of life, of, of your orientation to God. It's your heart being oriented to God's will and God's way affects your will. I would like to do this because the crowd is telling me to do this. I would like to do this because um, uh, it makes sense logically in this human realm. I would like to do this because of this, because of that. But wait a minute. God has changed my heart, and all of a sudden, I live not for my own glory. I live for God's glory. And so I want to see what the Scripture says, and I want to live that way because I'm a Christian now. The old has passed, the new has come. And our wills are under control when God changes our hearts and leads us through his Holy Spirit into a way of living. Being oriented to God's will and God's way. Our men's group's reading the J.I. Packer book. I picked up another one off the shelf uh, just because it was there and it looked like an interesting book that I'd started and hadn't finished. Packer's talking about the crying need for our churches today just to inform us and to make us think, what is a Christian? How does a Christian live? What did God save you to do? We know he saved you to, to, to put you in your home on high when you die, but what about now? What about now to then? What is a Christian's responsibility? And how does our will factor into that? Our wills are not our own. The human will is, is, uh, is controlled by a lot of things. A lot of people did a lot of things in Stalingrad in the 20s. And all of a sudden, they did a lot of things in the 40s when they're uh, peeling the, the wallpaper off the walls and eating the glue or boiling their shoestrings. No rat problem in, in Stalingrad during that siege. All of a sudden, outside circumstances changed their will. Their will, they would never have eaten a rat. But their will said, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat a rat. Or I'm going to die. Our wills and the things we do and the things we choose to do are definitely subject to outside forces. Our will is not God. Your will is not God. My will is not God. The human will, free will. A couple of us went down to a Cardinals and Mets game earlier in the season. Rick went and Caleb went. And uh, it was a doubleheader. And I exercised my free will to wear a Cardinals jersey and cap down there. I could have worn whatever I wanted, but not quite because there was still a dress code at the stadium, but it was cold. I couldn't wear shorts and a, and a tank top. Uh, it would have been too cold. So my will was influenced that way. I, I factored in that there's not a huge rivalry, and I wouldn't put anybody in danger by wearing a rival team at that point in the season in that place. Um, my will, I wanted to wear it what I wore, but my will was factored in by these other things. Our will, we say, it's my will, my choice. I can do whatever I want. No, the nature of the human will is there's many things that are stronger than the human will. Secondly, we think then of the bondage of the human will, and we've touched on that, the bondage of the human will. In the Bible, Adam and Eve were free. Adam and Eve were there, and they were without sin, 
And God said, eat, don't eat of this tree, eat of these trees. And they had that choice. And they made a choice. And their choice was to defy God and disobey God. The rest of us that are descendants from them are born with something that we call a sin nature. It's given to us. Paula and I had our first child, little Sarah, cute little Sarah. And I'm bringing Sarah for her first time in church. She's just a little tiny thing, a couple weeks at home and all that stuff. And I'm walking in, and here's Sarah laying there. And Bill Funches, one of our deacons, walks up and goes, boy, she sure is a cute little sinner, isn't she? And I wasn't offended by that at all because she was a really cute little sinner. If he he had said she's an ugly little sinner, I might have been mad. (laughs) But he said she's a cute little sinner. We are sinners. That's what we are, biblically. Uh, Listen to some of these scriptures about that. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Another translation says, desperately wicked and who can know it? Read Romans 6 and talk about what it was like before you were a Christian. You were a slave of sin. Romans talks about a slave of sin or a slave of God. There's no free agency in between. God didn't save you out of slavery to sin to now you can just do your thing. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here's a quote from someone. In and of himself, the natural man has the power to reject Christ. But in and of himself, he has not the power to receive Christ. In and of himself, the natural person does not have the power to receive Christ. I can give my best arguments biblically, catch you at your best time when you're most alert, you've had a night's sleep and there's no distractions, and I can tell you the truth about God and sin and Jesus and forgiveness and heaven and hell, and I can, I can give you my very best. And your human will, unless God moves, will not receive that at all. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we are before God intervenes and saves us. Uh, Boy, we took a vote and God says, all right, it's all on Christ the shepherds. It's all, today's your lucky day. Today is your day. I'm going to maybe redo some things. And you all get to vote. Everybody that's here today gets to vote. Member or not member of Christ the shepherd, but you get to vote. And you get to vote on this thing in the Bible called election, and God's election and God's sovereignty, or you get to vote for free will. You better make a wise choice and say, I like it the way God did it and set it up. Uh, It's election. It is God's sovereignty over the wills of people. You don't want your will because in and of yourself, you will not make a choice every single time. 
Adam had his choice. Well, Dr. Rankin said, and don't you guys get too mad. You know, somebody goes, well, I get to heaven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really give it to Adam because he, he's, he's the cause of all this, or Eve is the cause of all this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really, he says, listen, don't you dare think you would have done any better or differently than they would have done. Uh, you would have fallen probably faster. <laughs> um, here's, the, here's the perfect, and he was, the first Adam was our prototype. And when Adam fell, what does the Bible say? In Adam, all die. In Christ, all are made alive. That's what it's talking about. And your will and your understanding, your will is in bondage. You're in bondage to this world. Someone puts out a, a, a record or, a, or somebody releases this movie and, and everybody says they got to go see this and, or you got to buy this or whatever car or whatever clothing fad, whatever it is. We're in bondage to, the, to this fallen world. And listen, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We used to walk that way. What had to save you? What had to change your will? God is the only thing that could change your will. God is above your will, and it's God who draws men and women to himself. Before God saved you, did you find yourself opposing God and God's people? Yeah. You say, well, I was indifferent to that. Well, you wouldn't have been. You you weren't. When they started getting on your toes and you started to feel convicted, then you rose up against it. What changed you? What made you Christian? Uh, It was an outside force, what uh, theologians have called the alien righteousness. So we see just a little definition, the nature of human will. We see the bondage of the will. Consider, finally, the powerlessness of the human will. We cannot save ourselves We know there's a problem, but we can't do anything about it, though we try. We try. I'll be good for a while. I'll I'll, I'll change this behavior. I'll change this uh, partner. I'll change this job. I'll change this. You know what? Uh, You cannot change what is wrong, and you cannot save yourself, and you cannot make yourself any closer to God. John 8, 42 through 47 Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he has sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. First he said he's your father, then he says he's the father of of lies. But because I tell you the truth, Jesus said, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you, if I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. There is a divide, and in our natural state, before God intervenes, we are lost, we are dead, and we can brag about our will. We don't have no will. We're just going, going the way. We're just flotsam and jetsam, floating down that wide path uh, that leads to destruction. Even though we want to say, look at me, look at me, look at me. How about Romans 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12? None is righteous, No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. 
No one does good, not even one. John 6, 44. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to God. This is biblical. This is throughout Scripture. God is sovereign in all things. Uh, I'm happy to say in creation and providence and the workings of the world, I get a little uncomfortable because I want to set myself up and think me and God are working together. A few years ago, I read an article, science article. <laughs> I understood half of it, <laughs> but I understood enough of it to say that they, they've got a, a device that they can measure and that if I were to, to jump as high as I could, about two inches, but I could, they could measure that that would move the earth. I could, I could do, it would be so minuscule, but, but the technology is such that they could measure that now. And a lot of us think in our salvation, we'll say, we'll say I didn't say, it wasn't me and God working together like 50-50, and it wasn't even 90-10. But you know, I had a little bit, I had that little bit of a little bit of a seismic whatever that you could measure. I was, did just a little bit, and God did like the overwhelming bulk of it. And the Bible says no, nothing. You didn't impact. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And God came along and did what you could never do or even imagine doing. Well, I have freedom. Yeah, we have freedom in our unsaved state, a freedom like a dog to return to its own vomit. We have freedom to just sin and do what we want, the Bible says. We can just keep going along with the world and we just do it. Do you have freedom to save yourself? What's your nature without God? All of us, hopeless, helpless. We are the haters who are going to hate. We are the people that are going to look out for ourselves. We are the ones that are going to scrap and fight. And, and boy, when the chips are down, uh, boy, we better not even trust anybody and nobody better trust us because of our fallenness and who we are and the wickedness. We're of our father, the devil. And we said last week, thank God there's a restraining hand that's been on, on creation and some cultures get a little bit of a, of a God's restraint. But in our natural state, uh, this, is, this is the whole doctrine of total depravity. We're not as depraved and totally depraved. Uh, people think that means we're like we're really bad. No, that just means, uh, it means that there's no good in us at all. Someone said, I've got two glasses of water here. I've got a deadly poison. Deadly poison. Deadly poison where you inhale a, a, a molecule. It goes through your N95 mask and it gets to your nose and it kills you. I'm going to put that much in, in one of the glasses of water. I'm going to fill the other one half with that and half with water. Which one are you going to drink? I'm not going to drink either of them. Um, This one's not as bad as it could be, but it is. It'll kill you. This one will kill you. Um, That's the idea of total depravity. There is nothing in us. There is no good. There's no salvific thing that we can generate. It's got to come from outside of us. If we're going to be born again, if we're going to be saved, if we're going to have that new heart, it's got to come from somewhere else. Three things you've got to have to be saved. One, this all corresponds with the Trinity. God the Father has to purpose your salvation. Two, God the Son has to purchase your salvation. And where the Arminians get it wrong is they want to stick with that letter P and they say, 
God the Holy Spirit has to propose your salvation. You have to have a good proposal, and then you've got to accept it. No, God the Father has to purpose your salvation. God the Son has to purchase your salvation. And God the Holy Spirit has to apply your, that salvation to you. And you have the outside force of God saving you, then you'll be saved indeed. You can't do it yourself, even that little tiny part of it. There was an illustration back in the day, and people would present the gospel. Oh, I remember a guy, oh, I remember a guy came to our Bible college, not seminary. Seminary was fine, but Bible college. And he was, man, I've told you, some of you this. This is, this is the third time I got saved and then went forward and got baptized. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Do you know that you're a Christian? Yeah. Do you know that you know that you're a Christian? Yeah. Do you know that you know that you know you're a Christian? Yeah. I said, if he says one more, i got to pull my hand down. <laughs> he said it. Do you know that you know that you know that you know that you're a Christian? Well, nobody knows that, and I'm going to be honest. I'll pull my hand down. Boy, that was, that's hard. Well, if you, didn't, if you didn't keep your hand up, you get down here. You're not really saved. Make that prayer. We've got to baptize you all over again. And then he said, he said, I've done this at this other college. 350 students that said they were saved got saved. Good fish and amen. I remember saying, good fish and amen, just like that. It's like, no, that's manipulation. That's somebody getting inside your brain and your will. They can't save you, messing around with you. Uh, there's another illustration. Uh, they say, and this pink used this one, and I expanded on it. He said, people come around, they say, here's the gospel. You're sick in bed, you're dying. But the physician comes along and says, on that table right beside you is the medicine that will save you. That medicine is there. That's the gospel. You reach out and you take that medicine and be saved. And that's a human way of presenting the gospel that's not a biblical way. Pink said, I want to make it a real illustration. You're not only sick on your deathbed, but you're blind and you can't see to get the medicine. And you can't hear, so you can't hear that the medicine is even there. And you can't even lift your hand to reach over and get that medicine, and you can't swallow. And on top of that, you hate the doctor. That's a more accurate illustration, or even better, is one that we've already heard. You hath he made alive who were dead, dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead, he made you alive. God did the saving. God is the only one that can save a soul. The human will cannot save itself. In our natural state, we're dead. We're blind. We're unable to see the truth. We're a prisoner of this world along with the other blind, good-as-dead prisoners. And we are incapable of setting ourselves free. Let's have a jailbreak, we say. And our human form of jailbreak is... What, a new diet, a new way of thinking, a new religion combining these things, a politician, a system of this or that. Uh, We're going to break out of our deadness and we're going to become alive and we're going to engineer our own utopia. And the Bible says, no, you cannot. You are locked up, you're blind, you're dead. You cannot save yourself. And the only jailbreak that can happen is when from the outside somebody comes along And the only one that's capable of coming along and saving you is the God who created you, the God who is stronger than anyone's will. 
We have to, absolutely must teach. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot manipulate people into it. I was telling the men's group the other day at college that one girl, one girl, her roommate said, I got a secret. They said it in church, I don't know. He says, I'm not really saved. And the one girl goes and stands in front of the door and says, no one's leaving this room till you get saved. Now, I don't know what happened 40 years later, but they've left that room. Uh, You can't force somebody to be saved. Maybe in a Muslim religion, you can put a gun to their head or a sword to their throat and say, if you don't say Allah Akbar, uh, if you say that, and they they can force from the outside in 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 a verbal assent. But in Christianity, you can't save somebody by making them say it. God can save somebody by saving them, by transforming their heart. Uh, from the inside. It's an alien righteousness. Our salvation comes from God. If you're saved, it's God who saved you. Listen to Isaiah 42, 5 through 8. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. This is God that we've talked about in all this series about sovereignty. God who stretched out the earth, who did everything. This is what he says. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. If you're saved, it's because God saved you, period. So what do we do? How do we respond to that? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can't be proud of it. We can be overwhelmed by it. We can say, wow, God, you saved me. Why'd you save me? God, you must love me. And you're an object of God's affection. And God saved you with a purpose and a plan and something good that fits into his good plan. Uh, but you are, you are privileged, not that you earned it, but that God gave it to you. Your salvation is from God. Fall on your knees and say, thank you, God. Say, God, what do you have for me to do today? God, I trust you in all things. God, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to submit my life to you. Pink said, we go forth to preach the gospel then, not because we believe that sinners have within themselves the power to receive the Savior it proclaims, but because the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And because we know that as many as ordained unto eternal life, that's Acts 13, 48, shall believe, that's John 6, 37 and John 10, 16. As many as ordained unto eternal life in God's appointed, uh, shall believe in God's appointed time. For it is written, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. And this is what gives us a holy boldness to live for God. Doing what is right, saying what is true, living as Christians in the midst of a crooked generation and letting the chips fall where they may because we have an eternal divine picture. Living on the side of truth, living on the side of hope, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that God is loving, knowing that he who spared not his own son Jesus but delivered him up for us all will along with him freely supply all of our needs. This is our antidote to worry. You are a Christian. You're saved. You get to be a Christian. We get to be Christians in a Christian church together. 
It's a wonderful gift. And so we can, we can live without how we used to live. And I would just say this, as we look at the lost, at people who aren't Christians yet, we're going to get to this with prayer, we can give a whole lot more grace. We can be a whole lot more forgiving. We don't have to respond in kind when someone who doesn't know the Lord uh, mistreats us or says something or, or, or responds in a way because we say, no, we're Christians. We don't have to live. like That's how we used to live. I'm going to turn that into prayer for them. And I'm, I'm going to turn the other cheek and I'm going to give them my, my coat and I'm going to walk the extra mile. I don't have to consider them my enemy. They, their enemy is God and they take it out on me as, as God's chosen, as God's Christian. I don't have to treat them that way. And we can live and walk in a world with freedom that we don't normally have. Wouldn't have had without the salvation from God. And we get to do it together. And now we get to bow our heads and we get to thank God for this gift of salvation. We get to move toward the table where we see again Jesus' uh, sacrifice on our behalf. We go as Christian people to God's table where we are loved and welcomed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for salvation that comes from you alone. Thank you for alien righteousness. Thank you for something outside of ourselves that was given to us. Thank you for opening our blind eyes to our need for repentance. Thank you for helping our understanding in a way that the world thinks is weird and we thought was weird before we were Christians. That, that Jesus is the very God, a very God who died on the cross and, and our, our forgiveness is because he took the penalty for our sins and Lord, thank you for making that clear to us. Thank you for what you did inside of us and continue to do inside of us. And thank you, God, that we get to be Christians. And we pray, oh, Lord, we pray that more and more and more and more people uh, would, would be saved by you, that you would just spread this righteousness around. We pray for revival. We pray for a turning to you. And we have complete, 100% utter trust in you and what you're doing in our lives and in the lives of the world around us. We look to you because you're a good God who's sovereign. And we thank you for our salvation that we didn't earn or deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.